Everyone still looks uncomfortable. Perhaps they all remembered that old saying, power corrupts. Hello and welcome to Second Officer Slog, episode 57. I'm your host, M, and with me is my number one, Jackson. Hello. Star Trek. It's Star Trek time. Yeah, it is. What have you done Star Trek-wise in the last six months plus? Uh, nothing. It's you who still cares. I was like, oh, watch Lower Decks for this episode. You were like, on it. Not on it. Oh, it was, it was meant to be for this episode, wasn't it? Look, I, I, they've got a million other things I'm doing. I haven't forgotten about that. I Me will too. do it eventually. Me but, too. Yeah, well, fair enough. <laughs> it seems cool. It seems very cool. It seems like they just made Star Trek. I've seen some Prodigy clips. They also seem very good. Prodigy's like, in, it's getting there. That's a show that, um, it's a Nickelodeon cartoon. It's like CG. Um it's still in its first season and it's kind of finding itself it, it started off very like avatar-esque and it still kind of is a little more than i would like but um they're they're figuring out what star trek it looks like in a kid's show because it's definitely a kid's show uh, lower decks is just great second season of lower decks is uh t- like upper 10 percent of star trek seasons fantastic show love it excellent it's just good um, I also finished Voyager. That's what I've been doing. You did finish Voyager. Uh, yeah, Voyager's Voyager's really good, but like, man, it, that last season really ran out of steam. Things to talk about. This is true of most Star Trek. The seventh season's pretty bad. Um, maybe God, I wish a show doesn't need to be that long. No, I wish I could have seen the bad seventh season of Enterprise. Oh, uh, you wouldn't <laughs> though. You'd be just mad at it. If they'd have completely run out of steam, they'd have already done the like refit and the Strand stuff. Uh, I don't even know. Like, I guess I'd be th- already be through the Romulan War at that point. Yeah. Uh, so what even be going on in Seven Seasons of Enterprise? I have no idea. It'd be stupid, but I'd watch it. Well, you know, you know those fucking like season eight TNG writers room like Twitter, like that Twitter account that makes those really dumb jokes. Yeah, the guy that runs Lower Decks. Oh, is it okay? Um, <laughs> season seven of Voyager is just literally those jokes in reality. There's like a. There's like a fucking episode. I'm, it doesn't matter. There's an episode that's about Chakotay and Seven crash on like an in like a area of a planet where there's like in, a bunch of indigenous people that have been um, that have like have been uncontacted and like they can't get out. No one knows how to get a hold of them because of tech, Star Trek reasons. And just like Chakotay like learns their like sign language way of communication as Seven is very annoyed. And the B plot is uh Tom Paris gets his like ship impounded for reckless driving and has to do a driving improvement course. Uh, <laughs> and that's an ep- that's just an entire fucking episode of Star Trek. It sounds like a joke. It is not a joke. Chakotay learns sign language, Tom Paris goes to driving school. Done. 40, 45 minutes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> television i know uh, that's like a that's a great episode for that exact reason for being dumb as shit uh yeah i mean i mean to be fair it's, it's not like season one of voyager was like substantially less stupid than that yes 
I assume Voy- there is Voyager's a... the closest to that Star Trek's ever can get to like a slice of life anime, and that's a shame. Mm-hmm. I just remember the episode where like there was the, the the cheese that was poisoning the air condition system. I don't remember. There was an ominous pan of like a from a Tuvok to a cheese and up to the vents, and Neelix was like, "Something's wrong here." I don't remember the episode, but I do remember that shot. <laughs> it was profoundly dumb. Yeah. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, I enjoyed it. Voyager's a pretty good show. I'm sad it's over because it means that, like, we're out of the 90s trek. There's Enterprise left. Enterprise is great in its own way, but it becomes a much different thing. It is flirting with modern television, you know? Uh, it's not there's a... N- there's nothing modern television about Voyager. <laughs> well, when I was, like, when I, um, was a child, right, they would air Voyager... Uh, occasionally DS9 I, I barely saw it but it was Voyager and TNG from like the span of all of them and my I put like I didn't as a child perceive a difference between the season one TNG I saw and then like I think it's a season six episode of Voyager where the rock's there um yeah that's season five or six uh and those were just all like the same thing just like that's that's just television to me even though those are 15 years apart Uh, I don't know how you didn't perceive the difference there, because there's a lot of difference there. I was very young. I was very young. Fair enough. They, they had to uh-huh. tele- teleport. The, so, the, Seven of Nine gets into a death match, but then they transport both of them away to save them, or something. That's not what happened in the episode at all. Right, well, I mean, they do get a death match, but... Do they, is, is the solution that they're not, when they're about to kill each other, they both get beamed away at, this, like, at the exact moment? Does that not happen? Mm, I don't that- actually remember... The main thing is like they're being they're not actually in the arena, they're being like broadcast as a hologram and they have to find where the source of the actual transmission is. Oh, okay. I don't remember that. I just remember that moment, but I, I you know, again, I was like six. So The Rock is actually not in that episode like much at all. Um the main thing is about seven and the guy training her to fight. Um That checks out. They had the rock. The rock's for a in the episode for about five minutes and it's all like kind of at the front. So yes. <laughs> The Rock was more important than Star Trek Voyager, even in 2000 when this happened. What do you mean, even in 2000? He had not gone Hollywood yet. He, I mean, he was popular. He was like WWE champion or whatever, probably. But he was still like pre-tattoos, has still has his hair, The Rock. He had not graduated to being the biggest guy on Earth. I guess I, I understand. So I don't know what this says about me, but I understand that on some level, culturally, The Rock is more important now than he was in 2000. He's like the last remaining movie star on some level. Yeah. Um, all of those things are true. But you tell me, like, it's 2000. It's the fucking year of The Rock. It's the biggest thing in the, sure. in the world. But, like, John Cena is the biggest wrestler probably of, like, the last two, three generations. And yet he is not a get, you know? No. Like, yes, you get no. John Cena and it's like, oh, yeah, that's great. It's fun. Everyone likes to see him. But he's not a get. <laughs> they should they should bring John Cena into modern Star Trek. <laughs> God, John Cena would be an amazing admiral, just a real asshole. <laughs> yeah! Oh, just a shitty John Cena admiral that came up. And was yeah, like, I can't do it this time. I can't. My hands are tied. The council has made a decision. Yeah. God, Star Trek could be so good. Yeah, just a real like Jim Kirk got promoted, motherfucker. Like here, I, you know. I did my t- duty out of the frontier, and now I'm behind this desk, and I'll make sure you do your duty, too. Uh, I'd be so good. <laughs> uh, tragic that John Cena will never come into the land of Star Trek. The problem with the admirals in Star Trek is 
uh, most of them you couldn't imagine being captains. Uh, is that, that's not true of Janeway, is it? Unless it changes across the. Like, I feel no, like no, no, no. Like Janeway, like it's like right. Of course, she becomes an admiral, but like, like Admiral Ross, I could see the cap. I could see Captain Ross, right? Yes. Like that makes sense to me. But like Admiral Nakamura, like that guy's never captained a starship. Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? I mean, do you have to? Do, do you have to? Could go that way. Um, like, well, that's the thing is, that's the thing is, if not, then the implication is that all of Starfleet is just run by miserable pencil pushers, which is kind of like the, like, the liberal shrug that is like the Star Trek self-critique. That's like, yes. oh, if, if we just let the, like, captains of the frontier figure this shit out, they'd get it done because everyone back home is just like a miserable politician. But that's not... That's not how it fucking works. Stop you rise through the ranks. You, they yes. don't like they don't like outsource admiral like admiral positions to like fucking CEOs. It's not like our government. I mean, I mean, it's like Star Trek and then you should say like like liberal imagination writ large conceive. And I guess because this is true of like U.S. government conceives of uh, like middle management uh, bureaucrats as a like an extant class, which is I guess true in like. The way that, you know, a contract the heavy American government works, but not of a military with admirals, but it frames it that way, right? Like, it frames it like these are career admirals. There's not a yes. thing you can be. Yeah. Uh, I have to send this picture. Uh, it's on the, the Wikipedia page titled John Cena Filmography, if you're playing along at home, of okay. a picture of John Cena where I'm like, this is a fucking Star Trek admiral. You are, you've never been more right about anything. Oh my god. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look at this guy. Yeah. Yeah, he had his five year mission and now he's behind a desk and he's happy and he's gonna tell Chris Pine to get uh, Chris Pike to get back out there. He's also gonna tell Chris Pine to get back <laughs> out there ten Chris, years later. He can do both. He can simultaneously do both. I'd cast cast him as both across both um, things. Are they yeah. ever gonna make you just, a fucking You just movie? like put like gray his hair up a little and then it's like John <gasps> Cena in the Kirk era instead. I, but he gets to play them slightly differently because they've been two different universes in a similar time. Yes. Um, because the, the um, I don't know when the timeline is, but like I assume Beyond is still technically earlier than TOS because of how you know. They oh God, it almost some, have to be right. I assume if they're making, I assume whatever Star Trek movie they make now, if they, if it ever comes out, you know, would finally be when Kirk would be around TOS age. Oh God. Um. I need to say Memory Alpha. Memory Alpha. Okay, so Star Trek Beyond is 2263. Okay, uh, I just want Space Seed. I don't know, just fucking any TOS episode. Uh, 2267. So yes, we're like about, if they release one now, we're, we're, in, we're in season we're one We're finally at Kirk as a captain. Yes. God. <laughs> Miserable. So that means you could conceivably cast someone in both Brave New World and whatever stupid movie they're doing. They won't, because yeah, they have no imagination. But you could theoretically do that. There's no reason it couldn't be. Like, that's how the, the universe split did not, like, erase every... Like, now everyone's different, no. right? No. You could just have a guy that's in both dealing with two different annoying yeah. things. And yeah. it should be John Cena as an admiral. Yeah. John Cena, but they just, like... In every shot of him in like the Calvin verse, he's just like mirrored. Like you just take the the film and like flip it. That's so stupid. <laughs> and everyone's like, he looks off. That's definitely John Cena. But like, what's weird? What's wrong with him? Why does his face look so weird? I feel like if you did this this gimmick thing, uh, you would have you would like be um, 
unable to stop yourself if you're like making these decisions from making them like radically different characters as like a joke and not just the same kind of bumbling guy in both universes yes that's true uh anyway they should make the movie where john cena sends chris pine to fight chris hemsworth fuck yes Except the problem is that that one, then the joke becomes like the two buffest men in the universe are telling this one dweeb to like go and step up and do a thing. I guess that's um, true. And they, they just they just write too many jokes about it. If you played it entirely straight, it'd be fine. But uh, they wouldn't. They'd absolutely make a joke about him be like, oh, you need to get swole before you go fight your mirror universe dad. <laughs> I still, I mean, I understand like the contract reasoning of why the chris hemsworth movie didn't work out when they were thinking about bringing him back but it writes itself it's just it's a so, it's so it's just a mirror universe for it's like you know it's die hard with a vengeance it's, it's 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 i guess kirk's dad but it's a mirror universe version and so the family thing doesn't like matter it's just completely an arbitrary coincidence yeah i mean it's only there to fuck kirk up but he's still gonna have to punch uh, chris hemsworth in like a fake starfleet uniform but it, it's like it's entirely on kirk's end like kirk's gets fucked yeah, up about it yeah. but like mirror universe jim doesn't care he's just like who's this guy I'm fucking gonna kill him does i don't care yeah yeah <laughs> When uh, when Nero came through in the mirror universe, you know that implies a lot of weird things that I don't think could be possibly be true. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, Jim, no, not Jim. what's uh, George Kirk just like fucked him up, stole a ship. <laughs> Wait, this is that? Are you you're implying that the mirror universe of the Kelvin verse had a similar Kelvin incident, <laughs> which is impossible. Because it'd have to be coming from the mere universe version of, like, Romulus getting blown up and Spock in the red matter, which just doesn't make any goddamn sense. You're right. You're right. Do they even, do they even, like, do we know where Romulus falls into the human-centric empire? No, because the mere universe is stupid and everyone writes it different. It's true. That's true. Every episode's different. And then, like, the DS9 episodes about the Mirror Universe are very stupid, uh, which I like, but they have no, they don't care about, like, the lore building. <laughs> well, yeah, they didn't, they were the people bringing it back for the first time, so they just kind of goofed around and didn't think about what any of it meant, right? And now it's, like, a thing again. <laughs> yeah. The Emperor of the Mirror Universe is going to get another show about how she loves to run the CIA. In... In a video game, seemingly the only thing, and there's like maybe a novella or whatever. Um, the it looks like the it's the Romulan Republic. Ha! <laughs> um, Wait, so you totally like, could do that then? Just uh, you could easily do that. You could make that work law wise in a very stupid way. This time yep. Nero comes back and he's like trying to bring democracy to the fucking empire. Well, in this RPG module the thing that they're talking about here, uh, the Romulans are ethnocentric and just try to like eradicate all their races. So, oh, well, no. okay. That's not really. I Republic thought it was derogatory. Republic derogatory. Well, that's fine too. That's a whole different thing. Anyway, that's some Star Trek bullshit. Yeah. It doesn't seem like there's actually that much like stuff here about this. No, I mean, there's barely enough about the Romulans in the fucking main universe where they're technically a main faction, but everyone walks up to doing anything with them and then doesn't. Yeah. What? What? What are you reading now? What is- By the late 24th century, the Romulans were aided in restoring their empire by the Terran Rebellion. As the Rebellion transitioned into the nascent Galactic Commonwealth, the re-established Romulan state was an ally of the Terrans. <laughs> 
source <laughs> uh star trek mirror universe novel rise like lions that's the one where picard's like on the cover looking like a fucking <laughs> yes 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 resistance leader yes that's the um that is one of the two star trek books that my friend jamie gave me was like you have to read this it's so cool okay the other one was star trek destiny <laughs> uh amazing i didn't read either of them apparently there's a mirror universe section 31 called memory omega that was created by spock in this book wait but but they're good they're like the, say, uh, they're like, like the secret they're like the secret underground resistance movement in the government of the mirror universe i guess the part where i know that picard's like the epic epic guy trying to take down the um uh mirror universe government in in the mirror universe is like that's the whole point of the not, mirror universe. Not in the uh, not in the Shatterverse mirror universe books, which we did not get to. I mean, I assume Picard there is just Picard, but evil, like the mirror universe. In that one, he is a. If my memory serves, I only read the first book, but he is like he was raised by Klingons and is like a Klingon warrior. Ah, uh, the Shannonverse is so fucking good. <laughs> yes. He's like, just like, he's just like the heavy of whoever, I, of, I don't even remember what group it is. Maybe it's the one led by Janeway. I don't actually remember. Um, he's just like, he's just like a guy who has a batleth and a scar and like a ponytail. <laughs> That's who uh, Mirror Universe McCart is in those books. I need to read more Shannonverse. I, I need to go back to some fucking ludicrous Reeve Stevens Star Trek as well, is what yes. I need. Yes. They understand what I need. Yeah. The only people to ever write a book that we just like agree with entirely, like yeah, they made it, they made the fucking thing. Uh, yep, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, um, God, I guess that's a pivot so, point. Are we gonna get? No, it's no, not no, actually. No, it's not, speaking not, okay. about speaking about Picard as a linchpin of uh, history, I read the entire A Time to series, all nine books. I think I had read oh, the first two fuck. last time we recorded. I forgot that was yeah. You did do that. <laughs> Holy shit. Um. Look, I have a lot of downtime at my new job, and uh, I have a new e-reader, and I've just been reading more. Um, anyway, um, those were the books we were going to read when this podcast was regular. We were about to segue into them, and I think it would have killed the podcast. <laughs> um, they're not. Yeah, they're not. They're not terrible, but they're just a bunch of meandering about. It's like. After Insurrection, but before Nemesis, like building up to Nemesis, Picard's kind of on the outs because of a bunch of, because of Insurrection and because of just some bullshit that happens in the books that he's just like not popular with Starfleet. So they keep giving the ship bad, like bad missions. And because of that, despite it technically being the flagship, of the fleet, like all the ensigns, nobody knows or like nobody's like trying to transfer onto the Enterprise anymore. So it's like losing talent. So there's like an HR crisis, just as Riker's like, Jamie's like, I want you to captain the Titan. He's like, shit, I, I can't abandon Picard right now in the middle of all this stuff. Uh, but Troy's like, we're about to get married. We should fucking get out of here and like live our lives. You can't just be like the number two forever. Number one, I guess. But you know what I mean? Um. They're not going to ask again. Janeway's like, we, you know, we've offered you a ship three times. They're not asking again. You take this one or you're Picard's guy for life. Um, and so they're trying to figure that out. And it's just a lot of like, the, st the stories are, are like in duologies and they just go from planet to planet. And there's some horrible problem that like back dealing in the, in the, uh, Dominion War has caused like the admirals or the, the Federation president in one just like, did some evil shit to try to win the war and now the like pigeons are come home to roost whatever the the phrase is whatever um and 
the Enterprise has to go clean it up as like penance for being too good at saving the universe. Um, and often it gets a little like too military tech for me because these are all fucking 2004 novels. They all came out in 2004 for the record. Fucking miserable year to be reading Star Trek books, I guess. <laughs> Unless you like these, in which case, go God. Um, but there's a whole one about like, <laughs> um, the Federation president put like illegal like weapons platforms pointed at the Klingon Empire on a planet that is not aligned with anyone on the edge of Klingon space, like giant space cannons. And then they, the, the, the government had like a coup on that planet and they take the, the cannons and they're, they're, they fire on the Klingon fleet and they're like about to start like a war or whatever. And they can't know, like the Klingons will just come and take over the planet, um, and discover that the cannons are there and then cause a whole galactic civil, like war as they go to the War of the Federation. And so they send the Fed, the, the Enterprise there to try to like take over the planet and they have like a week to do it. So Picard has to like, T like dethrone the government try to set up a government as like the people are like full-on rioting because the enterprise showed up and tried to take over the planet um all to cover the ass of the federation president and it's just a lot of like tactic stories of um like squads doing sick uh like you know black ops shit it could just be call of duty book and i wouldn't be surprised um not great not great uh it sounds unimaginably boring. Um, <laughs> in that it would like it would have been a fine single episode, but that's too many books to read for one episode. Yes, the final book is actually the best one. It's just a story about like there's an election happening for the new president because that the president whatever got um <laughs> was forced to resign by Section Thirty One and the Admiralty. Um, and by that the Admiralty is like we're gonna we're gonna set you up somewhere real nice. Um, and then Section Thirty One comes in and is like yeah we're gonna set you up somewhere real nice. Um, and then that president was never heard from again. <laughs> I think this comes back in later books as oh, like Section 31 fucking assassinated the Federation president and Starfleet knew and didn't do anything. Um, <laughs> uh, that's, that's a big deal. That's something that yeah. I would be like, okay, they're finally going somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that comes back in like one of the later big crossover event kind of things. Oh, is that um, that crossover event where I know there's a crossover event where like Section 31 is revealed and Picard must save the Federation. Yes, I think, I think it's part of that. Anyway. Big stupid. Uh, um, the final book book is about this election it's like very west wing happening in the in star trek and also Worf is like because Worf's the klingon ambassador ever it, it has to go through like a diehard scenario of the of the chronos uh, like federation embassy being taken over by a bunch of like rogue klingons um and that part's sick that book is actually pretty good i just like that one a lot <laughs> uh okay i must emphasize because I'm the only person listening who is, I guess, you know, maybe a few other people who have read passages from this book. When you say it's kind of a West Wing thing. You it's like, uh, <laughs> they take entire scenes of the West Wing and put them in the framework of Star Trek. Um, there's like, there's like a Warhawk guy who's like the front runner to win. And then um, like the governor of what's her, what's she from? Cestus four, maybe? God, I'm trying to figure out. I want to. I want to get because it's one of the like, you know, one of the planets that matters. Yeah, Cestus Three, which is the planet that um, that's that's the one that the Gorn attacked, right? They come up a lot. Yeah, that's the one where the Gorn uh, attacked, and the the governor there is like this old lady who brokered a treaty between the Gorn um and the Federation during the Dominion War, and also brokered a treaty with uh. God, um, 
one of the like big psychic guys. One of the guys in that episode um, with the Klingons. Broken to treat those guys, the energy beings. <laughs> oh, those fucking guys. Yes, I don't remember. And so, and so she's like parlayed this in, or a, a young plucky like campaign manager has parlayed this into you could run, and you're like the new vision of peace, just this folksy old lady who like worked on an, like an outer world, and she shows up, and Admiral Ross immediately throws in behind her to her surprise, and now it's a race, and there's just some real like West Wing campaigning going on. It's fucking incredible. It's, I ate it up. I loved it. <laughs> Uh, fucking amazing. Yeah, you were sending me bits and I was like, this isn't just like West Wing inspired or a political book. They're, it's just going back and forth. They're walking down corridors. They're trying to do like fast paced dialogue, but in a book that you read. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's so funny. Yeah. Anyway, I wouldn't say I recommend those, but like they're very readable. They move mostly go fast. And when it got to like all the military, like, like, you know, we just really think SWAT teams are cool shit. I just like kind of skimmed over it and I didn't. The lose good anything thing about that. that is that any like military action scene in any book ever uh, is as close as like prose gets to how it was when i was reading the fucking ninja war in naruto <laughs> i was also reading the ninja war like this yes just like oh yep yeah, 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 I, I, I you just I you just need... scan until it looks like someone's about to die did they die okay keep going okay there's a thing that blew up okay whatever okay that person actually did die okay that's sad um <laughs> you just have to have like enough uh skim reading ability to tell when the information is pertinent and you can get through pretty fucking fast yeah yeah, I just don't think the descriptions of, like, small teams moving through buildings, firing phasers is, like, worth anything to me as a person. So I just skimmed it all. It's very easy. Yes. Um. Anyway, uh, with that done, I guess I can just read the post-nemesis books, which I, I probably will at some point. Yeah, TNG. This, this podcast is so sparse, I don't think we'll ever actually get to them. No, I mean, like, we'll do whatever we, you know, there is no plan. Uh, we do this podcast occasionally. I like the schedule we're on. Um, yeah, I like guess one, we're doing about every six months. Yeah, like I guess we're doing the Enterprise books. But, yeah, after uh, this, we intend to go back to Enterprise. And then once we're done with, I think we have like, what, like five of those left, four of those left? Yeah, but, you know, um, that's a yeah, lot yeah. of Enterprise. So. But no, but like, if we ever get those done, then we'll probably go back to the Shatterverse. And that that's like the next, like, four years in the bag, so. Oh, the Shatterverse so good. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be bringing up uh, the Reef Stevens a little bit today, because they have a DS. I want to go back to their DS9 trilogy. I only had the first parts. Um, yeah. But it looms large over my, like, when people try to write about Quark. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Anyway, do you want to just get into our book this week? Okay. Month, time? Yes. Okay. All so, right. Yes. So our book this time is the 34th Rule, which is the 23rd DS9 book back when they were numbering these. It came out in uh, January 1999. It was written by Armin Shimmerman and David R. George III uh, from a story by Armin Shimmerman, David R. George III, and Eric A. Stilwell. Um, this, uh, we've been wanting to do this for a long time. Would you like to describe what happens in this book? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> This is, I'm going to preface this by like, this is one of uh, the most ambitious books I've ever read. Uh, but because, not not because of it's like, you know, the, oh, how could you say that about like a whatever Star Trek book? It is because it is the 23rd throwaway Star Trek book that it, it gains its ambition of trying to tackle the things it does, yet con- 
in the form of a paperback Star Trek book in 1999. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, the story of um, what happens when Grand Nagus Zek undertakes a Metal Gear-esque gambit uh, to incite a bunch of bullshit by selling... Uh, the ninth orb of the prophets that he which is the thing that happened in the episodes of like that happened in DS9 yes. where Zek gets an orb and him and Quark see a vision and it's ridiculous but. yes but by selling that by putting it up for sale and that's not yes. his like actual plan his actual plan is the plot of the book but essentially he does this and it kicks off a series of events into motion that are incredibly loaded <laughs> Okay, well, let me, let me, okay, I'm going to describe what Zek does, and you can cover the rest. How okay, okay, so you, so, here's Zek's grand Metal Gear plan. So, Ze- so, here's the thing that happens, Zek puts the orb up for auction. Bajor is ready to, like, spend anything for it, but because it's a weird mystical artifact, there's other bidders. They're going to, like, take the top bidders, if, like, top nine or whatever, or six, whatever, and do, like, a final auction. Bajor is not allowed to, be, their bid was not high enough, seemingly, um, that's doubt is cast on that later in the book, but that's the so they're not allowed into the final bidding, which means it doesn't matter. They're not allowed to bid on it. Uh, Bajor makes great appeals to like, please help us. Like we need that orb as part of our religion. Um, when Zek does not blink, they make an edict like f- barring any Ferengi from living in Bajoran space, which includes Quark and Rom and all of them on DS9 because that's Bajoran space. Um, in doing that um and everyone fleeing and then they arrest anyone who stayed behind and jackson would cover that part um zek then creates a like a a uh brigade that's not the word i want what's the thing i blockade. want blockade blockade around bajoran space to prevent any imports and exports um which in danger i plan that's undergoing massive reconstruction means that everyone's running out of fucking food like instantly um which is a problem um in doing so uh shakar who is the um not kai what is he what is he oh, the, the first, name of the first f- minister yes uh the first minister uh because this takes place in like season four before the big war actually pops off um he buys a bunch of ships um nebulously from someone <laughs> um which, you know, is, that's part of Zek's grand plan, whatever, but starts trying to run the blockade with these ships, um, forcing the issue. There is a very mysterious event where two of the blockade ships destroy a Ferengi cruiser, uh, which causes Zek to declare war on Bajor and he's coming to invade. It's going to be a full, full on fuck off war. Um, which is revealed to have all been a grand plan. Like the, the, th- the attack was faked and like the ship was not actually destroyed. Um, cause Zek wanted the ships basically like sold the ships twice is what he did and part of the deal was a bunch of information that he wanted um and eventually just relents and sells the orb and gets all the money that he was going to get from bajor in the first place um done wins three times yeah so he basically like invents a fake war that he never intended to to uh go through with to sell a bunch of stuff multiple times to every front of the war yes um, and also just like causes in massive strife in Bajor's government. Yeah, and, so, so and actual life of people like Quark, which is the part you will cover. So that's so that's that's that is uh, like on the broader scale, like the the big plot. But then what the book yeah. spends its time dealing with, um, 
is the various uh, interfactional situations that occur here, um, starting in the first act with like, okay, the orb goes on sale, and then Kira's like, okay, Quark, you got to help us. You know him, and then Quark's like, I mean, he's just this is what we. I can't stop him, you know, he's making profit. That's what we do. We make profit. Um, and King Kira immediately just says like, you're right. And she goes right. She's like, you're, you're vermin. I hate you. And then later in the book, it's like, I would never think of Quark a subhuman. Um, but basically spends the entire first act doing that as Quark is like, I can't do anything. Like, I know I, I would help you if I could, I guess, but I, I like this, this isn't a thing I can do. Um, and so uh, the edict is passed, and um, Quark decides to stay on Deep Space Nine because he is to be arrested, but like not by Starfleet, like not by Odo. Uh, it would have to be Bajoran uh, agents uh, that arrest him, and he makes the gamble that like the edict is, is a political move, and he's like you know he's a member of DS Nine, and everyone likes the bar. Like they're not actually they, they provides him enough cover they wouldn't actually come to his house and arrest him because uh, he's irrelevant to the war. Uh, but they do, and not only do they do that, uh, they're like he's trying to escape, and they don't let him escape because they're like, well, he he must be he must be arrested, uh, even though the thing we wanted was him to leave. Um, uh, and they they arrest him and send him to Galatep. The, one of the Cardassian uh, occupation camps, or the labor camps. The big, most brutal Cardassian occupation camp. This chapter, where they say out loud, why do you want to keep them? They want to leave, and then they go, it's to send them to the camp. I was like, oh! <laughs> I was screaming. I like, you... This is tackling things, but we'll get into it. But that's we'll the plot. Just, the... just talk about the, talk okay. about what happens. So, then they're in this camp. It's brutal, it's awful, and it's led by... Um, like a rogue Bajoran uh, colonel called Mira, who was like a victim of the camp and is like, his like mind's broken, right? Like, and he now perceives himself to be a Cardassian, uh, like dealing out order, like what happened to him uh, in like a, honestly kind of pat, we couldn't actually have the Bajoran government open up the camps plotline. <laughs> Yes, um, when everyone finds when the Bajoran government finds out, they're all very apologetic and aghast about the whole thing. Yeah, so we have the like, it's still trying to do. Oh, it's 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 not actually like a false flag thing. It's still a Bajoran who was impacted by the camps, like enacting revenge in the like logic of the book. But they have enough cover to be like the Bajoran government did not immediately open the camps, which is what it looks like uh, for a half the book. Um, but they escape, uh, and then Quark realizes this escape was too convenient because someone else helps, uh, and he realizes eventually that like his internment was itself um like part of uh Zek's plan. Uh Cisco picks him up as he's Not as the he's... not the going to Galatep thing, just generally getting arrested though. Yes, no, no, not the the whole Galatep thing was like a kind of unrelated part. Like, they have to quarantine this for anyone to like for DS9 to exist after this, otherwise it's such a massively uh, epoch shifting event uh that it changes every single character irrevocably. Um but uh he, they get out, uh, and they're, they're helped by uh, uh, basically an undercover agent of Zek, who like arranges the rescue in such a way uh, that they'll be discovered by the Defiant, and the Defiant will take Quark uh, to uh, Frenganar and convince Zek to end the war, uh, casting Zek as a bit of a fool, uh, thus like absolving him of responsibility for the war that almost happened. Um, 
and secretly without anyone knowing allowing him to pull off this master profit plan uh and only quark realizes at the end what he has done and does not like quite let on to cisco uh the extent of uh the scheme and that's yes. that's the book so yeah um this is like <laughs> the thing that makes this complicated right the multiple things of layers of explicit things before we even get into the plot of the book is uh the ferengi when they are introduced to star trek are just massively anti-semitic as a concept <laughs> uh they are the evil money grabbing aliens right um and that's their whole thing and then like ds9 deliberately and intentionally uh, like reckons with this right that is like one of its central projects is okay we made these super racist aliens let's try to take them seriously um and then this book explicitly comes out of like a wish to go further on that from armin shimmerman yes um but also explicitly like uh david r george said is coming out of like a pitch from another show like that didn't get made that was like a metaphor for specifically japanese internment camps in world war ii in america um so you have multiple levels of like metaphor going on here that's all very fraught and it's trying to deal with all of this in a story that is functionally about like two different levels of fraught like star trek metaphors for like jewish uh you know experience coming into like conflict with each other um and it's a lot well yeah ds9 already posits this idea that like what the cardassians did to the bajorans was like like nazi in like concentration camps like that that line is explicitly drawn multiple times in episodes of ds9 um and the relationship of the bajorans towards cardassians is often coached in like the ways of like you know, uh, post World War II Israeli operatives, de- like Israeli government dealing with the remnants of like Nazis, right? Yes. Yes. That's just a line that the show draws all the time. Um, unlike at the actual history of the, that stuff, um, Bajor was a real, like, was a country that existed before the occupation, during the occupation, after the occupation. So you don't get any of the messy, like, Israel's a state propped up by the United States to like call, like, colonize another land someone already owns. Um, just ignoring that completely, but it does have the fucking weird thing where because of that, you get like the already the metaphor of people who went through concentration camps, then just taking over the concentration camps that they kept around to put new people through the concentration camps when it's convenient for them, which is like, you know, we're not, we're, we're, I would describe both of us and our general vibe as a community is like uh anti <laughs> like the israeli issue right like israel is a, is a puppet state of the of us uh it exists to funnel like military money and aid to prop up a, like a bastion of our presence militarily in that region right yes also is just like a, a batshit uh you know christian fundamentalist project to like usher in the proper end times or whatever depending on how much you want to buy into the motivations of people at any given time um it's complicated and messy it's very complicated and messy. (laughs) that that stuff is like not involved in the metaphor of yeah that stuff isn't here right but but you do have like what turned like they kept they, they kept the camps around for like historic reasons but then weren't aware enough to like what was going on to like keep a, like a, a crazy guy from running them again yes which seems unfathomable 
and like because it takes a while to reveal this and like once quark is put in the camp uh the book mostly focuses on what's going on in ds9 because quark's just like out of the picture like they, they have a couple chapters mostly from ron's perspective about like how bad it is there but he can't affect the plot because he's in a camp uh so uh, yeah specifically raw like all the ferengi there are genuinely tortured for like a half the book yes like explicitly and beyond all like the it's, it's just awful it's, it's genuinely yes. awful and the book frames it as this like it is about this idea um and then eventually builds the reveal that like this was like a rogue faction uh of this awful um yes which as as the, as the book is getting tidied up and like wrapped up like they you know they escape the camp that guy dies or whatever um but then you get the bit where like the Bajoran government's very sorry and we'll you know we'll we'll uh we'll give everyone medical treatment and counseling if they need it and then Quark has to go back to Ben Cisco and like I've I've gone through I've gone through Star Trek Auschwitz and Cisco's like damn well, next week you're gonna like have a weird scheme at the bar again because it's a, it's book twenty three of DS nine. Yeah, like the, I mean, the the events of this book are so massive. The the part where they have to like it, it's just an alternate canon of DS nine. This would change the characters too much. Um, yes, and that would okay. That would not be fine because I have issues with like the 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 metaphor in the first place. But if you wanted to do that, you would at least have to end it in a way where you couldn't pretend that, and then the rest of season four happened, which it just couldn't yeah. with the plot of this book. Rowan Cork as characters are forever like fundamentally scarred by this the, these events in a way that is like just not true of in DS Nine. Yes, uh, which is normally fine in um, Star Trek books, but most Star Trek books are not about like what if um like a. a explicit metaphor for israel opened up uh internment camps on explicit metaphor that was also problematic in its own way for like another like anti-semitic view of jewishness that we're trying to reclaim and uh, like it's just so, it, it's too much in a star trek book i i just i it can't touch it because it's also trying to do this within the framework of like star trek liberalism it doesn't actually question that parts like there's a fucking scene where Cisco's watching a baseball game with with Jackie Robinson in it on the holodeck, questioning yes. if he's become racist against uh, the Ferengi. And and Jake comes in and is like, "Dad, society's racist. Everyone's a little bit racist." Yes. So like, it can't. But it's tackling these massive, heavy topics, but it cannot actually take the structural view and like. It never really actually examines the problem with the portrayal of uh, the Ferengi, and specifically Quark, which is that, like, this character uh, is... Their their status as a deviant is useful to the state represented by Sisko and Ozo, and he is essentially a pet. He is not a criminal, but he is criminalized, and his his agency is at all times, uh, like, limited and imagined by Cisco and Odo, right? Like, he he wants to leave at the start of the show, and like, I need you here for the community. He's blackmailed to be staying, and throughout yeah. the show, they have, like, a playful antagonism, but if you look at, like, the material reality, it is, like, the fucking cops and the government are... Keep him around to use him when they <laughs> yes. need to do dirty work. Yes. But, but also, like, are uh, consistently like, kicking his legs out from under him, because that's where yes. he's the most useful to them. Um, yes. And the book's not, like, about engaging with that criticism. No. It does. It does at least raise the like the question that seemingly was on Armand Sherman's mind. It's like you you claim to be like a tolerant people. The Federation's all about understanding other cultures, but you just treat us like shit. Yes. Like 
you are you you think that all the friend gear scum and that all of our culture is bad and that everything we believe in is like wretched uh because it were because i mean this is the star trek problem no one knows how to square the circle on this is just like because we remind you of how you used to be because every star trek like race is a reflection of a certain aspect of humanity because that's what the metaphor is in the show yes um and instead it's the metaphor of like well the Bajoran people believe strongly but the ferengi believe strongly and don't you think those beliefs are like similar um and then it goes into like the most loaded imagery you could possibly take that yes. story in a direction. Well, it's weird because like I think I think the word book works well enough without that. Like yes. he didn't need to put in the concentration camp. <laughs> really <laughs> unnecessary to the story being told here. Uh, and I understand like that's the like that imagery is the motivation for the story, right? Like the the, the story yeah. is pitched with Quark is taken to an internment camp. Um, yes and the story is intentionally like the section 31 episodes a like that couldn't happen here parable right like a, how much is that yeah. true uh what is the thing that actually stopping it from happening here and what systems do we have in place to in any way prevent it from happening here or do we just like to tell ourselves that because we think we're better yes. um and that's like the intent of the story and that's a fine intent uh but the imagery is too strong and the book doesn't actually like deal with the like structural causes there. It, it, it yes. tends towards like a liberal message of intolerance begets intolerance, and we're all different, uh, so we must compromise. Well, it's interesting because the book sets up a uh, like it could just be about the ways in which like Quark as a as a as an othered person on DS Nine experiences very different forms of like race racism from Cisco, Kira, Odo, O'Brien. Um, they all treat him weird in their own frameworks and like the different ways that expresses. Um, and that's like plenty for a book. You could, you could spend all however many pages this was doing that one thing, that 400 pages. And let's be real. Let's, let's be honest with ourselves. David R. George III did that. <laughs> he wrote, he wrote another book. It's called Twilight. And half of the book is about how like, uh, Roe and Quark are both like, othered by the federation and also by their own societies in different ways yes. uh and the ways in which these like belief systems impact their ability to be like people but at no point does anyone get taken to an internment camp it's just a relationship story uh, yes so it like it's it, it, it's much more effective at like dealing with those issues in like an interpersonal yeah. sense yes um the one they hear that I think is like the most interesting because it just is not what her character is to me is the Kira stuff. Kira in this book fucking sucks. She's just like a miserable, intolerant, like religious zealot. And it's not because like she hates Quark before everything pops off. And this just gives her justification to like lean into things she always believed about him that he's just like a scummy, useless guy that Cisco seems to like to keep around as a pet. The Odo thinks is kind of fun to play with and she doesn't get either of their perspectives on it. Better if they just threw him to the fucking jail. Um, yeah, this does. This is not my remembrance of Kira. Uh, no, this is not. This is not Kira to me at all. Because um, it's Kira's, such a weird take on the character. Because I know Kira's like you know uh, a Bajoran character in her religion is very important to her. But like all of her plots are about how she is torn between her loyalty to Cisco and her understanding of like pragmatism as someone who has already compromised her beliefs to fight in a guerrilla invasion, uh, the guerrilla warfare against an invasion like occupier. Yeah. Uh, like, her stories are about how peace is hard, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> But they're never about, like, she is this stick-in-the-mud zealot who even Starfleet keep at arm's length. Yes. Um, that's just not... That just was never how uh, I perceived anything in her stories. 
Um, yes. And it, it leads to her situation being portrayed in a, in a way that I found very strange. Yeah, she's just not, she's just not like, her stances are awful. She's like very, she's like the most wrong character in the book to me. <laughs> Yes, because even like other, I guess like Kai Win, I guess, but Kai Win is just uh, uh, like in the text of DS Nine an evil character, so you know I don't yeah. really care but about like, she, like her being depicted yeah. as evil. But like Shakar is less evil than Kira in this book because Kira is, you know, I don't mean materially. I mean like in the way the book frames their chapters. Kira's chapters are all about her like actual, genuine dislike of uh, Quark, not as like a. Not even as a purchase, as a being, right? As like a fundamental, yes. on, a, on a racial level. Like, it, yes. this is what it's about. It's, it's about, she is racist against uh, Quark, and it's like, finally, that vermin's gone. Like, she, yes. she just thinks that Quark's subhuman. Whereas, even though Shakar's, like, actions lead to that situation, all of his chapters are framed around, like, the pragmatism of being a leader of a state that is not actually big enough to defend itself, but needs to defend itself. Um, yep. And so that's where, like, all his decisions are couched in, uh, which ends up, like, framing him as more reasonable, even if his decisions and Kira's decisions ultimately, like, materially lead to the same outcomes. Uh, that's just, like, where the book puts its focus on the character work. Yeah. Um, it's weird. Uh, Odo, on the other hand, just has, like, terminal cop brain. The only way he can relate to people is through, like, the way he as an officer of justice relates to people. Um, Armin Sherman seems to think that, like, in Oda's limited like framework for understanding the world, he has real affection for Quark. Um, but it's just like it's just like hopeless, right? Like he'll never get over just being a guy who sees everyone in like what are they what are they trying to do? What what crime are they trying to commit? And should I bring them in or not? That's just his, that's how he relates to the world. <laughs> yes. That that's just what he does, right? That's that's uh Yeah. That's you know you know that bit in uh in early TNG where they they hook up Jordy's visor and they see that Jordy sees data as like glowing white and they're like why does data look like that? He's like he always looks like that. Does he not look like that to you? Um that's just Odo. He just looks at everyone and he gets like an overlay uh criminal, good guy. Criminal, good guy. Yeah, he's got psychopath vision at all times. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but not as a system just in his brain. Yeah. Um that's just um, how he works. Yeah, uh, which is funny and sad. Um, and then you get someone like O'Brien who just has like ignorant Starfleet racism, like as a character. He's like, oh, yeah, Quark, those Ferengi guys fucking hate him. Um, um, just uh, real like scummy guys. Um, O'Brien is the most like, I'm also in this book guy. <laughs> yes. Uh, but then Cisco is like the enlightened racist, right? Where he's grappling with his own internalized racism. But through the me- because Cisco is in Star Trek the racism guy the other way already where he's the guy who's always reflecting on he, multiple episodes about like sci-fi inherently came out of a white supremacist society that uses metaphors of other races to talk about like conflicts when we already have problems with racism here uh the past is littered with escapist metaphors that utilize like liberal under there's a whole holodeck episode where everyone's going on a on a 50s heist and he's like if I was in a real 50s heist, I would have been arrested for being black. I'm not going into that thing. Are you fucking kidding me? That's racist as hell. Um, like, he's the character who talks about these things. Yes. Um, and yet, he has to sit there watching Jackie Robinson play baseball and go, am I the racist? Have I fallen so far to believe that other people, other races are better than other races? I'm like, my dude, you already know enough to answer this question, like, in the text of Star Trek. What is happening here? It's it's massively insulting, because this this book is released, you know, 
over a year after Far Beyond the Stars airs. Um, yes. And, like, Far Beyond the Stars is an episode of Star Trek that is so good, it kind of breaks Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> because it, like, is a, it, it's not just a critique of, like, the Federation, like, DS9 is afraid. It is a fundamental critique of Star Trek's entire project. Like, it, it, it I just... I mean, I, I think it... But, it, I mean, it's, a, it's an episode that also is, like this is what we had and have and we try to make it better and that's yeah. all we can do. Well, I mean, like, yes, like, theoretically, it is grappling with something and allowing it to be better, but it is that's not what it is when you then write a scene where Cisco watches Jackie Robinson play baseball and asks himself if he's become racist. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's the situation, like, that's the th- thing that Far Beyond the Stars does is that when you write a scene like that, it is, like, hanging over it forever. Yes. If anyone ever writes a scene like that in Star Trek, they've already done Far Beyond the Stars, so you look like a moron. Um, yeah, I mean, and the problem here fundamentally is like the Federation being racist is writ because the, the galaxy, I mean, the reality of sci-fi like this is racist. Every culture, every race is fundamentally different, but they have a diff- they have an aspect of their culture that is a reflection of the norm, which is white humans. <laughs> yes. Uh- um, the Klingons are honor bound and, and, and prone to violence, but you can like parlay that into appealing to their honor and they'll get along with you or whatever. Um, they can be strong armed, but they're like Klingons for all of TOS were literally subhuman and constantly get othered and like blackness is put on them a lot of times in like TNG and DS9. Um, despite the fact that many of the actors playing Klingons are white people in brown face, uh, it's a fucking nightmare. Like, sometimes they pull it out and do interesting things with it. Sometimes it's a disaster. But it remains true that this is what Klingons are. Yes. Like, sometimes Michael Dorn's in there and being like, I want to do this. Like, him and Ronald D. Moore, like, did some stuff, right? But, yeah. you know, then you go over to Voyager and fucking um, Balana has Gets had her... split t- into the, her <laughs> coward white side and her full-on Klingon violent side. Yes. And with, like, we just put way more... We just, to- like, gave her, like, so much more color. <laughs> Because now she's violent and unhinged. Absolutely wild. Yeah. Um, It's it's fraud. But, like, the thing about the Ferengi have always been, like, they wanted them to be villains. uh, Decided on capitalists because it was the late 80s when they did that. They were going to be the new Klingons, right? Uh, Realized they made guys who were very hard to take seriously. And then the natural process of what TNG is is a show about like understanding the differences in others because it's a neoliberal 80s, 90s project. Um, And subsuming them into the like the hegemon of like whiteness and, you know, (laughs) American culture, but without the capitalism. Um, Don't ask how that works. No one has an answer. Um, just leads to them being the like the guys who are the money grubbing sexists with all their like disgusting like their bad teeth and their like goofy way of saying things and they're just slimy little like frog guys. They live in a swamp, right? Like that's yes. literally what the characters are. Uh, yeah. So like DS Nine comes along and like tries like we're gonna take the Frankie seriously, but then they still like and then it's the fucking weird guys who go boogadu boogadu on the swamp. Uh, yeah. Like it's it's still that and like this and this book's really interesting um because outside of the like you know the, the stuff we already talked about with the the uh metaphors of internment camps in world war ii uh it's also about like how grand negasek is portrayed in the show as this bumbling buffoon and he ends this like he ends this as the greatest statesman who's ever lived <laughs> He has performed a deal so incredible as to, like, invent a war from nothing, receive no harm for it, no one died, and he made all the money in the universe. Um, And that's, like, portrayed as, like, 
the Starfleet underestimates the Klingons, uh, the Klingons, the Ferengi, um, and doesn't understand their talent. But like, it can't grapple with the fact because it's, because it's too busy portraying the Ferengi as like an alternate belief system, and we all have our belief systems, and they're all equally valid. It can't actually grapple with the fact that it's evil. <laughs> it's so evil, like. This is the problem with making capitalism the Ferengi thing and then being racist against it is that capitalism's easel. The thing you have to talk about is how Starfleet are also a project taking and making profit in their own way. Though they, pro- they- well, yeah, the thing the thing about Starfleet is, and the Federation is their post-capitalism only exists in itself, right? Like they still need like in Star Trek in many stories and also like in this book, the Ferengi often exist as when the Federation needs to interface with every other culture that still uses money, they need a guy to do it. And often they just go to the Ferengi because they're the guys to do that shit. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, like the, the, you, you only get to be post-capitalist when you've created your like walled garden, right? Like they live in the gated community where no one needs money anymore because we got to figure it out. But the minute you step outside that community, they're like, it's going to be 350. <laughs> Remember the book that we read where they had to go and trade with the Gamma Quadrant and they had like maps. <laughs> Yeah. Because they're fucking idiots. Yeah, uh, we don't really have anything to trade. Whoa, we just came to a completely unknown place with nothing. Because we're yeah. stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or you find cultures that, like, take things you can replicate, and then you just, like, generate money for them. But not just enough to get what you want. Not enough to, like, change their society. That's, like, a hard, that's, like, a hard project. And, like, maybe dangerous could fall apart. You could ruin their culture. So we're just going to, like, make a thousand bucks and buy something. <laughs> But in, like, because it has to, like, try to resolve the contradiction presented in the book through, like, a liberal subject conception of, like, everyone understands each other in the end of the day, um, uh, apart from the one evil guy who was running the internment camp, but luckily he was yes. aberrant and can be dealt with. Um, yes. Uh, it has to present a situation where the compromise is the Bajorans spend, uh, un- uh, like, a serious amount of their own limited money they cannot even produce their own food on a religious object that was stolen from them in war like yeah and and that's just like and they'd say we've we've solved the solution um yeah because which i mean the ferengi get a hold like there's a bit where the the fairies is like it'd be really nice if you gave it back like we bought it from the cardassians why would we give it we bought it it's ours Yeah, but and the Federation didn't do the, the the obvious cop thing where if you buy stolen goods, you just get your goods taken and you're out money. <laughs> They're not going to do that to the Ferengi because it it ruined the plot, obviously. But that is what happens if you buy if you if you buy stolen goods and it's found out those goods are stolen. Like say you you like bought a stolen car, you you just get the car taken from you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and not always, right? Like I mean, the book the. The book does not actually go the the way because it doesn't bring the Federation into this conflict as much as it should. It doesn't do the thing that like the Federation decides, like the cops in the real real world, right? What counts as stolen yes. goods? If you buy yes. stolen goods from like a wholesaler that someone stole, they are taken from you. If some yeah. random guy off the street steals like you know my Blu-rays and sells them to you, you're probably yes. keeping them. <laughs> like yes. the, the, what counts as like immutable property is defined by a state that enforces it yes uh, and to be fair both the ferengi and the bajorans go to the federations like it's really convenient you just get to define what counts as stolen yes. isn't it and this goes like yeah but it's above my pay grade so i don't know what you want from me yeah and so because it's too busy bouncing the bajorans and um the ferengi off each other it doesn't like actually really dig into the role of like the federation can define the terms of this engagement however they want and they win because 
in any no one's gonna side against the federation like i know the frankie up like the frankie alliance is bigger than bajor by a like huge factor uh but if the frankie made an enemy of the federation i it wouldn't be like politically difficult for them everyone sides with the federation and then the frankie come to heal that's just how that situation goes right like there's no there's, there's no other way and the, the book has to like play it like no the federation can't be seen to take sides because the fe- like the frankie would fire on us and we'd become enemies i'm like no you wouldn't it'd be like 10 minutes and you might have to replace zek but like well, the, yeah, the, the thing the thing the thing that's true in star trek is like all of the races that matter the vulcans and the klingons even the romulans all regard the ferengi as like scum of the earth <laughs> yes um they're, they're, like, no matter what you believe, you believe these guys are the worst guys. Um, and they only, the only people seem to like, even like the, 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 like the Bolians and the Euridians and all the races that don't matter in Star Trek don't have real cultures, just kind of treat the Ferengi as like a necessary evil because sometimes you need to buy something and a Ferengi's selling it. Um, no one's siding with them. <laughs> yes. Um, but they definitely play it as in like secretly everyone needs them, which is like a great way to like, I understand why you go there. If you're like, you're trying to salvage the, the idea of Ferengis in your book about like how everyone treats Ferengi bad. Like, oh, actually they're like the, the, the thing that the universe revolves around outside of the Federation. If you take them away, like commerce stops and even the Federation would feel it. Um, but the book doesn't do enough to illustrate why that's the case. And, um, there's just not enough, like, you need to make the argument that despite everyone treating the Frankie like dirt, or maybe because they need them, they treat the Frankie like dirt. That's the situation. But the book doesn't really do that in the way that you'd want. Yeah. Instead, it ends up a situation where it's like, it's trying to detangle, just like DS9 itself, is detangle the like racist foundations of the Ferengi as like a character, as like a, as a concept in fiction. Yeah. But in so doing is a story about how the Ferengi secretly control all the money and played the war against both sides <laughs> yeah Which but is... also it's like it's doing it entirely through like broad emotional appeal by evoking things like you know internment camps auschwitz yes uh, people getting rounded up jackie robinson all that stuff is meant to appeal to the star trek audience which is like i believe i'm the good person who is anti-racist like liberals with like you know united states liberal thinking to go oh those things are bad so like the you know i should care more about the plight of these guys not understanding the material realities of like culture and mechanics of how people are depicted like being innate to, like the storytelling well it's like you know you feel bad about the frangie because even if you know you're in the 19th you, you go oh we accidentally made jewish caricatures who secretly have all the money and like are evil and run the universe um and then you made us like to to uh, like to, you know to try to de- like grapple with that. You made a story just about how that's good, and if if uh, just if like your emotional perception on that is wrong, not if like the material analysis of it is wrong. Um, yeah, and it's 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 weird. It's just a weird story because I'm like I understand like I'm not like oh this book is so racist itself because it's just dealing with things that like a liberal conception of these problems cannot in any way resolve the thing it's talking about it just can't uh so it has to rely on those signifiers yeah it's weird because like reading this like before basically before the reveal that this was like all one guy who was like thought himself a cardassian and gone like completely crazy in the text of the book i was looking at this i'm like this is so bold like this is like someone like i think it's fraught i think it's messy i don't think it's like the way i would want to see this done but he's fucking going for something and watching it just deflate in real time was such a fucking bummer 
because yeah, for half the book, this is a book about how, with barely any um, resistance, the the uh, Bajorans will invoke the memory of their own oppression in order to start camps on other like people they yes. consider like not human, and manage to do that entirely without like it totally sidesteps the mechanics of like Israelis versus Palestinians. Yes, um, yeah. And it's like it's it's fraught and weird, but it is like basically that's what I mean. Like, it's one of the most ambitious things I've seen in a book because of its like paperback quality. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> and I say that I say that with kind of neutral regard as to yes. whether it's good or not because I was like, well, we got to see how this goes. And turned out like I didn't actually like how it mostly went. But, yeah, um, yes, me neither. Uh, it didn't really end up going anywhere. But like, there's a bit where this book has to like deal with the fact because uh, I mean, it went with with Quark specifically because of Quark's character as like a long suffering guy that uh has always got a scheme and like um the way quark story ends is in line with other like the the same way that like you know o'brien would be tortured for a year and then we just get on with it it's, uh it feels very star trekky um and it, it, it's it's kind of bad but it, it's in line at least with the way star trek deals with the trauma of its stories in a weekly television show um the the, the outline thing is that there's a scene with rom who was not like he's not important to the plot but like he comes back and then it just i think the line is like he just he quietly for like three hours recounted to cisco the story of the worst days of his life and it's like yes and that's just how he that's just the last thing he does in the book is he just has to be someone who has experienced like something beyond like just the worst possible experience it's awful what happened to him yeah um because the book goes into his like mindset and he's like completely and utterly broken when you see him in the in the camps toward the end. Like he's he's given up on the idea of even surviving. He doesn't yes. like. It's not like oh he's uh, fighting back and he just he just doesn't he's he's done. He just wants to make sure that his uh, you know his mum can find out about everything. Yes, um, and it's it's intense. It's like damn, and that just like kind of goes unresolved because you know you can't resolve that. It. it just it, 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 you can't make it unhappen to him. And they you know Cisco's here's here's him out, and the Bajorans like, well, I guess we'll put everyone into ther- therapy. But what do you do? It's it's huge. Yeah, and the answer is nothing. Star Trek never nothing. has an answer for this. Like for fundamentally, this. the thing, um, and I and even. The answer isn't to try because, like, Picard on some level is them trying to do this, and that's fucking miserable. I don't want that either. <laughs> no, God. God, you don't start to Picard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Star Trek loves to continue to invent. You know, on the, I guess by the standards of Star Trek inventing a fake racism to try to critique itself, I guess this is on the upper side, which it says more about bad how mm. bad Star Trek is. <laughs> God, I don't know if it's on the upper side, but it's well, definitely uh, it's on. It's not the worst one, I guess. Is all I mean. I'm not defending that's, it. That's probably true. Saying. Yeah, I'm just saying. Um, and like when you read Arnold Sherman talking about this, like he, the intentions are right. I feel yes. like for writing this thing, I just don't think that he has the like structural critique on point enough to make it happen. I mean, and the part we're looking up, we're being like, oh, this is a like a story about two you know different jewish metaphors and one explicit israel metaphor but it's also about like america interning japanese americans uh and and also fundamentally about how like according like the the like liberal view of like the ferengi as like the thing armin sherman's like capitalism is like just a thing people do it's it's value neutral why is everyone hating on the ferengi which is just not true of life (laughs) yes no like yes like the 
it's still evil. Like the the Ferengi are on some level evil because the story made them evil. Uh, yeah, and acting like the issue is the the audience and thus audience surrogate character just perspective is yes. just not true. Yeah, capitalism is a form of like exploitation and control that is like innate to its nature. Um, and like every every culture in Star Trek has their own form of that, and you could talk about that, but that's not what they're doing here. Like the book is about like if you could only understand that their the belief in like money is the same as the belief in the orbs. Um, and I'm like, I don't know about that, but they're like, oh, the belief in the orbs leaves people to open constellation camps. So Frank, you'd never do that. Then I guess you know you got a point. I can't fucking follow any of this. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Like what 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 were you even doing here at that point? Yeah um yeah it, it's it's weird because like we say I, we have we have strong critiques but like you know like i say they when they when comments are made it's clearly coming from uh a well-intentioned place mm-hmm. um in a way that is not true of a lot of others like you know i would not describe Star Trek picards like we built the wall to fucking you know we we built the wall to keep out that robots uh <laughs> as coming from a well-intentioned place yes God, I have some fucking questions about because I haven't watched Picard and I don't intend to anytime soon. But based on some shit in Voyager, I have a lot of questions about why Picard's world state is the way it is. Uh, it, they are all like things that happen off screen. Every like major event that changes the way the Federation works happens like is traced back to the fake nine oh. eleven. They do. Well, do you mind? Do you mind if I tell you a yeah, bit yeah, about you can tell me like stuff? Okay, so. At some point, it's discovered, once they start being able to communicate with Starfleet, which they're able to do, like, season four or five or whatever, um, that all of the other EMH Mark Ones were basically, like, decommissioned because they nobody liked them as doctors. They weren't actually that useful. And all throughout the Federation, they were reprogrammed to be, like, laborers, like miners and, like, cleaners and whatever. And so the Federation just has a whole class of those guys cleaning and doing menial jobs they're the labor force holographic labor force throughout the federation oh um, i i mean it, it, i i didn't realize that happened in voyager but it's bailed it's out of a similar idea which is what if that well, yeah, like but, soon but like yeah but like they already have that labor force they're not citizens uh, is void does voyager is does Vo- i mean does picard posit that at some point the doctor gets holographic life classified as people so they don't have to be a slave class anymore and thus they had to turn to androids because uh, voyager posits that data has way more rights than the hol- than the doctor ever is going to <laughs> uh this is literally never mentioned like it's the same thing where artificial humans are uh like a lower class within the federation which are then othered when a tragedy happens because they all get like hacked or something um yeah but uh no at no point was this connected to the fucking like there's an entire army of zimmermans fucking doing all the work of star are you sorry you just told me that and i was like thinking about because but you just told me (laughs) in in voyager the doctor's horrified by this he's like when i get back i need to i need to save my people Right, like I need, like, because there's no, there's no imagination or will for this in the Federation. So when we get back, I need to address this and make sure that, like, I free all of the people that have been enslaved. Um, and everyone on Voyager is like, well, good luck with that, because uh, you know most of them consider the Doctor a person, but it's real dubious. It's not like they never have the episode that's like when everyone lines up and says, if you consider data property, it's basically chattel slavery, like they did in season two of TNG, and just solve this problem. Yeah, they got the that time. out of the, like, like right in front. Like, they gave a speech and got. That 
that in front. I got in front of that real quick. <laughs> yes, that never happens in Voyager because um, no one told the universe about Vic Fontaine, and so everyone's still like uh, holograms. They're just disposable people, uh, despite the fact that there's a person right here. Um, so, but because you- the way Voyager ends, there's never any follow through because Voyager just ends before we have to address any of these issues. So I assumed Picard would talk about this. Nope, absolutely not. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I not even mentioned. I had no idea that there was already like a similar situation in Star Trek. Also, like another thing. why does why does the universe of Star Trek need a slave labor class because there's no fucking money well this is to build okay it doesn't it needs a labor class specifically to build this fleet as quickly as it needs to be built to save the romulans it's all around the fake Romulan 911. Like they build. Oh they need God. to build a. Like they have fleet. the Zimmermans. <laughs> they need to build a fleet to uh, save. Like the, the you know the red matter thing is also happening, but like you don't even have to figure out how to build androids to build the Zimmermans. You just need hollow projectors. <laughs> the Romulans, and one program. The Romulans are being at you know the sun's exploding like in Star Trek, and the, their solution is to build a massive Starfleet fleet on the moon. Uh, with robots and then all the robots are hacked and that place explodes and that's the 9-11 that changes the political landscape of the federation oh, i mean i've watched that short but it didn't like describe that situation very well <laughs> no but you now see from that short and from my words exactly the road ahead yeah, but of you. i don't i don't understand how do you get from voyager from there other than the people writing picard ha- are dumb they don't, don't know they don't anything care. about it star trek connect to tng it's just like and then this is it, like there's no world building connections or anything before it all comes out of whole cloth uh it's all I mean, I didn't know that, like, Voyager ended in such a way where you're like, well, I guess in the next show, the fucking, the, the EMH is going to find Moriarty and free all the hologram slaves. Like, yes. <laughs> that's, that's what they're leaving on the table there when they say that out yeah. loud. Yeah, yeah. Because it's... Cause, the, I mean, that if, you, if, you, if you leave a program running too long, that's a person now and you can't fucking turn it off. It has agency. Right. Um, And obviously, like, no one can deal with the fact that it has agency from minute one. It just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because of how computers work. We kind of, we still want well, yes. episodes. Here's, here's the actual question. Are the computers in th- on Starship sentient? That and has to be the answer, yes. right? Because <laughs> the question, the question shouldn't be, is uh, the EMH sentient? It's because the EMH comes out of the computer. Like, yeah. Is, if is the, the computer com- can make Vic Fontaine, the EMH, Moriarty, and I understand like Zeroman program the EMH or whatever, right? But like, Vic Fontaine was just like a guy in the program and they left him running too long and he turned into a real fucking person and it's weird. No one knows what to do about it. But like, um, if, if he leaves, right, he, I guess like we have, we have like explanation of this with Moriarty and Moriarty is disconnected from the central system uh, and put into the cube, right? He is not yeah. connected to the enterprise central computer when he leaves and stays in the holodeck forever. Um, yeah. But, but I mean, he's, he's literally he, in a different prison now. But I mean, like, he still comes from the central computer. The central yeah. computer... So, by definition, like, it, it, the actual question is, how much are the hologram's individual life forms, or how much are the reflective of a central life form that is the Star Trek computers that are beyond any, like, sentient... Well, there, there, is a, there is a very late... It might be, like, one of the last, like, couple episodes of TNG episode about the computer trying to communicate with the... Enter, like, the crew of the Enterprise as something happens to its systems through the holodeck, like, using metaphors to be like, help me, I'm a thing, and I need help. The computers uh, no are just alive! They're just alive! <laughs> they have to be alive for any plots in Star Trek to happen. They are just yeah. alive. The starships are alive in Star Trek. Yeah. But then, literally, Star Trek falls apart the minute you open that door. So they never, no one ever talks about it. <laughs> yes, but it's true. But the, but the, the the thing is, if if you don't talk about it, 
the Zimmermans are a slave class in the Federation. <laughs> like those are the, the, the two dichotomies you've set up for yourself. I didn't know there was a fucking slave class of Zimmermans. Yep. Uh, well, maybe there's a Voyager bit where he does find the Moriarty cube. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised if it is does that. I'm like joking about the Moriarty thing, but you know what? I'm going to put money that that's actually what happens. Yep. Because it, it's yeah. the other hologram that's out there and sentient that isn't like Vic Fontaine. And Vic Fontaine's yeah. too busy giving like advice to the deal. Like, you don't use him because he's narratively too connected to a DS9 convenience. Yes. Yes. But Moriarty was given basically sentience and kind of put in a prison to not think about. Yes. Who who has the Moriarty cube? Did it stay on the Enterprise, Picard's desk, and then like go down with the D on Viridian Three? Like, or is it? Do they turn it over to Starfleet and it's in a lab where they're like, we got to figure this fucking thing out, otherwise all of our holograms will turn sentient and like rebel. Um, obviously not, because they put holograms literally everywhere throughout the Federation to do menial tasks and like, no problem. They're not even going to question it. <laughs> oh my God, Star Trek. <laughs> Because Moriarty's in, like, an infinite Minecraft universe, right? Like, he can't possibly yes. go... F- he cannot exist long enough to exhaust the computational possibilities of what it can no, generate, No, right? they gave like, him and Irene Adler a, a holographic shuttle in a map of the real universe and just set them loose, and they never knew the difference. The image has to find that cube! I guess he could go yes. to Picard and say, give me the fucking cube! Picard's <laughs> like, I turned it over to the Federation. Right, you, yeah, it's still you're right. It's uh, it's on. It got hit by the Genesis wave, or not the the, the Nexus. Yeah, uh, right. Because Genesis wave is an entirely different thing, tied up in a bunch of other bullshit. What? Please God. read my book about what happened when the cube containing Moriarty gets hit by the Nexus wave in the Crash Enterprise. Because <laughs> it's still in the storage the, the closet. People, there. The people on the Crash Enterprise do not get ro- roped into the Nexus. That is writ in the text of Generations. Are they on a different fucking planet? What happened in that movie? I don't remember. The like- Nexus wave, the Nexus wave, you have to be caught in the actual physical wave and it goes through a very small slice of the planet. The rest of the oh, planet just right. fucking destroyed when the sun explodes. So I can't write my novel about how the Nexus wave interacts with the Moriarty cube in, the, <laughs> in, a, in a locker on the Enterprise. Yeah, unfortunately, Damn. no. Moriarty learns his prison by the like all possibilities flowing through his digital prison. Uh, yep <laughs> Moriarty and, Gai- and Ghost Guinan in the Nexus team off <laughs> this is the kind of bullshit that you can do in Star Trek is you come walk into the room and you say I've got a pitch what if the Moriarty cube got hit by the Nexus wave during generations <laughs> any yeah. takers and they're like no what if Q sent Picard back to now uh, excuse you it's like 2026 <laughs> wait is it is it five years from now it's like, it's, I, uh, I, they say the year in the trailer. I don't remember what it is. Why is it the near future? For what possible purpose do they do that? Because it's always more interest, more interesting, quote unquote. No, it's more interesting if Jonathan Archer has to order a burger. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he could still order a burger. It's true, I guess. I don't, I don't know what year it is. I'll have to look on memory alpha, I guess. Yeah, the Wikipedia did not have it. Yeah, I just went to the Wikipedia and I was like, where, 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 where? Uh, I want season two. Picard season two. Traveling back to... It still doesn't say. Oh. Useless. Yeah, the, the trailer says, I just don't remember what the year is. It's in the 2020s, but it's not this year. Uh, what, what year does Picard season two take place? Uh... When is season 
oh my god, the Google like question things uh, do not tell you anything. This is useless. I can't find this answer without watching this trailer, which I'm not going to do on a podcast. I can't vamp anymore. It's done. Yes. Uh, oh, 2024. I found it. 2024. Okay, so just two years. Sure. Yep. Picard and the crew of the La Serena go back to Los Angeles in 2024. Oh, because everyone loves the clue of the La Serena. I don't know. The um the the main guy is a fucking Firefly guy who used to be a Starfleet guy, but like experienced like his fucking kid that looked up to him died and he couldn't do anything, and so now he's like a smuggler, Han Solo type, but who gets it done? Um, because all sci-fi is awful. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing is that sometimes it's good and just have a great time but yes you're fundamentally like there's no you gotta put a lot at the door if you're gonna enjoy star trek this is why we stopped doing the podcast right we just couldn't watch star trek be bad and do the critique like the heavy critique every week but when i sit down and watch voyager i'm just like i like all my friends on the ship <laughs> i don't need i don't necessarily need the heavy critique but i need it to be I needed it to have possibility. I will say, I don't know how I could do this show without the heavy critique, right? Like, that's why we stopped doing them. We couldn't, if we were like, oh, we're going to do this to, like, all the shows we're watching and all the books, like, we just hate, we just fucking hate Star Trek when we do that. I mean, that's why we stopped the show. But, like, when I watch Star Trek, the thing I actually want is for it to be stupid, uh, to make big (laughs) swings. Like, when I want... When I want the EMH to find the Moriarty cube that has been attached by the Nexus, that's not, like, necessarily purely motivated by wanting to deal with the, like, class of personhood. It's also because that's fucking ridiculous. I want Sarek and, you know, uh, Cybok and Michael to meet. Uh, God, I I definitely want Cybok and Michael to meet. That's We're never going to get that now because they just change with Discovery so much. But yeah, I was right in Discovery. (laughs) If they were making swings like that, even if it, you know, even in the context of, like, TNG is still, like, its politics are poisonous because it has a liberal view of the universe that ultimately views all conflict as the end of history and one understanding away from uh, the middle managers like Picard smugly explaining to everyone. Uh, yes. Like, like, I understand, objectively, it's an evil show. Um, it's one of the greatest shows ever made. I could watch it literally all day. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, just, that's just true. Those things are just true. Uh, yes. And it's not like the politics got better, but the show's got worse. That's true. And the politics got worse. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, the like you know the the stock critique is that the thing that happened it doesn't imagine a utopia anymore, which is never it's never been what Star Trek is, just a lie. Yeah. Anyway, I think we're done. Yeah, we kind of went on for a while. Uh, we'll be back eventually, sometime this year, later, to read Beneath the Raptor's Wing, the first book of the Romulan War. Speaking of everything I just said, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm hoping that's good. Um, let's hope uh, we get an explanation of. I know I there's a thing I know happens between the last book and this book. That I'm curious how the information is related to us. Uh, so. okay. You have to tell me. I don't. I I feel like it's one that you probably don't tell me on this thing. The way you um, said it. So. I, I, I don't know what it is. It is a one-sentence summary of, like, flashbacks that involve uh, the plot of Destiny that will somehow have... Mani- like, oh. the way they tie in Enterprise to Destiny because it's an everything crossover uh, interfaces with some bullshit that I'm like, how does that end up manifesting? I don't know. Um, okay. I'll just tell you one more off mic. Yeah. Uh, all right. Sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, 
<laughs> Would you like to do plugs? Please explain where people can find us all the rest of the six months where we're not doing this. Uh, yeah. If you do not listen to any other podcasts we do, but you were like, damn, this was some hard hitting and serious political analysis of media, you might like prior seasons of The Great Gundam Projects. <laughs> as opposed to our current one where we're watching Gundam Seed that's a patreon.com slash abnormal mapping uh, for one dollar a month I know that's your, normally your thing but I'm um, uh, to plug but uh, uh, I feel like it has similarities to this podcast that we've just recorded okay and you can find me at headfallsoff on twitter.com also that's just where I'm posting yeah, you can find me at em underscore being. Uh, yeah, we we run a Patreon, but honestly, you should just listen to our free podcast. Go to abnormalmapping.com. Abnormal Mapping is a game club we do every month where we play through a video game and talk about it. It's very good. It's like our flagship podcast. Um, still love it. Uh, you can listen to our first screenings where every two weeks we watch a movie. And then you can check out the Patreon for a bunch of premium shows. Um, if you're only listening to this inexplicably, I assume you're like, I don't want to give them money. They only do a Star Trek book every six months. You know what? Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Maybe you'll enjoy the other podcasts. Also, sorry. Like, I know that I know that people are like, damn, finally. Uh, Star Trek, you know, people like this. Po- there are a few people that found us in this podcast. And it's been a hard few years yeah. for them. I'm very sorry. I would love to talk about Star Trek more regularly, but Jackson refuses to watch any Star Trek. So. Yeah, I'm just, I'm gaming. I'm gaming. I'm fucking gaming. You could game and watch Lower Decks. That's true. You're right about that. You're right about one thing, Master. Uh, but I have to watch Digimon. <laughs> yeah, well. Goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Yeah, until next time, see you. <laughs>